Our second reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verses verses 12, chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of God. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you might, might think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There and in is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning I want to talk with you about mothers and about the glory of the Lord. I want to talk about mothers naturally because it is Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a secular holiday. It's only about a hundred years old. But the position and the honor of mothers is rooted in the deepest parts of Scripture. It is rooted in the creation itself. So I want to talk about mothers I also want to talk about the glory of the Lord. Now, glory in the Bible is a mysterious thing. There are two words that are used for glory. One has to do with weight, like the weight of a bar of gold. The glory of the Lord is weighty. It is heavy, like a gold ingot. The other word has to do with blazing light, like the light of the sun. A weighty, blazing light is how the Bible pictures the glory of the Lord. This glory is connected with God's very nature, with His very being. The way heaviness is connected with the nature of gold and brightness is connected with the nature of the sun. But here's the kicker. Our reading from Philippians today hints at the amazing truth that one day we who are in Christ will be made glorious the way Christ is glorious. That we will be like Christ. But let me begin with mothers. As I said, the position and the honor of mothers is rooted in the deepest part of Scripture. It is rooted in the creation itself. 
You might be surprised to know that the Bible mentions mothers even before there are any mothers. In Genesis chapter 2, after Eve is created, Adam, who has been looking for a mate, sees Eve, and he exclaims, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then we hear from the omniscient narrator of the scene who observes, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The bond between a husband and a wife, the bond in which two bodies become one flesh, a bond which often leads to a wife becoming a mother, this bond of marriage is more exalted than the bond between a mother and a son because the son leaves the mother and cleaves to the wife. This is the first mention of mothers in Scripture, and from this mention we learn two things. Number one, that the bond of marriage trumps the bond between a mother and a son. And two, that the bond of marriage leads to the bond out of which should grow the bond between a mother and a son or a daughter. One of the lessons that I take from this little verse is that as a husband, I should celebrate my wife on Mother's Day, even more enthusiastically than my children celebrate my wife on Mother's Day. A bond of marriage is the primary bond. And out of this bond grows the secondary bond of motherhood. So husbands, honor your wives, the mother of your children today. Don't let your children outdo you in honoring the one woman that you should cleave to. The other biblical passage that we parade out on Mother's Day is, of course, the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the first command that is directed at relationships between humans. The first three commands are about our relationship with God. And once our God relationship is settled, then next comes our relationship with our parents. The family, of course, is the bedrock of human society, the family and not the state. Let's be very clear about that. The family is the bedrock of human society and honor honoring our parents is key to that fundamental relationship. This is the first commandment that comes with a promised blessing. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, honor your father and your mother and you individually and you as a society will live long and prosper. When the fundamental unit of the family is ignored, when people begin to believe that the state is more primary than the family, then that society is ripe for replacement. That society which places the state above the family won't last much longer. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, that's the positive command regarding mothers. The, that command is part of the Ten Commandments. But as you know, the law of Moses has more than just Ten Commandments. In fact, there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. There are two of these commandments which are negative commandments regarding mothers. Listen to 
uh, these two laws. This is Exodus 21.15 and Exodus 21.17. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. How about that? Did they teach you those verses in Sunday school? They should have. Because these passages show the majesty of the parental relationship. In Scripture, capital punishment, the punishment of death, is reserved for only the most serious cases, the cases that insult the very image of God. And here we see that even striking or cursing a parent violates the very dignity of God himself. This Mother's Day is a day to remember this command. This Mother's Day is particularly sweet for me. It is also particularly bitter for me. Let's talk about the sweetness first. Friday, this past Friday, was my daughter Rosie's birthday. As the firstborn, Rosie is the one who got the whole Mother's Day thing going in our family. Since my early 20s, I wanted to have children. I got married at 29 so that I could have children. And when I went looking for a wife, I looked for someone who would be a good mother. And that was Ava. And we were married, and then Rosie arrived, the perfect baby. Last year, Rosie married Josh, and last week, Josh and Rosie bought their first house, a cute 1920s row house in Germantown. All day yesterday, the Bruces and the Morrisons were at Josh and Rosie's new house, scraping and painting and getting things ready to move in. Today, Mother's Day, we will again spend the day in Germantown helping Josh and Rosie as they settle into their own place, as they continue to cement that most fundamental of all relationships, the bond between husband and wife. So for me... This is a particularly sweet Mother's Day. My wife is a mother because of Rosie, our firstborn, our perfect baby, who with her husband, Josh, is now establishing a new home where, God willing, perhaps another baby will arrive to bring the blessing of motherhood to the person who made my wife a mother. How sweet is that? This Mother's Day is also bitter for me because my mother, who lives in Alaska, uh, recently entered uh, hospice care. And because of this COVID-19 panic, none of her family are able to be with her during this time, which is not how it should be. Today is Mother's Day. May we all thank God for the mothers in our lives, and may we commit ourselves to support mothers and to support families as the bedrock of our society. Okay, let me shift gears now from the glories of motherhood to the glories of the Lord. And to do that, I must first talk about goals. Goals are really important because goals orient our efforts. They determine the direction we are pushing or pulling when we do our work. All of us have work to do, and the direction of our work is important because the direction determines where we will go in life. It determines where we will end up when we're mature. I've always been interested in history and in biography, and as a pastor, 
it has been my privilege to conduct about 70 funerals. And one of the central parts of every funeral is a recounting of the life of the deceased. A little biography at the end of our lives. Members of the family come forward one after the other. They tell stories about the loved one. All of them try to capture and encapsulate the life in a few minutes. It's actually quite a burden. The average American lives around 27,000 days. The average American earns and spends around $1.4 million. And after all those days and all those dollars, our children and our co-workers will stand up in front of everyone who remembered us enough, who loved us enough to attend our funeral, and they'll say a few words in summation. And I think if we were given the grace of hearing the words that will be said at our funerals, some of us might be inclined to make a course correction in life. We might want to change our goals because goals are important. Goals determine the direction of our work and the direction of our work determines where we will end up. The Apostle Paul, in our reading from Philippians this morning, says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? That was Paul's goal in life. At least that was his goal after he had been born again. That prize was the goal that oriented all of Paul's work as an apostle. The goal in turn determined where Paul ended up. But what in the world does it mean? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a mysterious phrase. Well, we get our our first clue to what this phrase means about the upward call in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians chapter 3. There Paul writes, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christians sometimes make the mistake of reading the Bible in a way that is too spiritual. I know that sounds strange, but not everything is spiritual. Some things are physical. Planet Earth is physical. Our bodies are physical. And the goal toward which Paul strives, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, actually concerns things which are physical, namely our bodies, and the place where our bodies have their ultimate citizenship. Paul awaits a Savior, namely Jesus Christ, who is in heaven at the moment, but who will come one day from heaven and will transform Paul's lowly body into a glorious body. Jesus is able to make this remarkable transformation in our bodies by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, is what Paul writes. Now we've seen the miracles of Jesus, 
We've seen how death and disease are subject to him. We've seen how food and water and wine are subject to him. We've seen how even a storm on the sea is subject to Jesus. Well, as it turns out, everything in creation is subject to Jesus. Every molecule of our body, every molecule in the COVID-19 virus as well, all of it is subject to Jesus, which is hardly a wonder since we know that creation happened through Jesus. Jesus was the agent of creation. As we read in Colossians For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's Colossians 1.16. And for those of you who don't like Paul, maybe John is good enough for you. He writes in his prologue to the Gospel of John, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. And if you don't like either Paul or John, how about the unknown author of the letter to the Hebrews? He or she writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Fathers by the prophets, but in these latter days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus not only creates the universe, he sustains it. He holds it up. You understand, of course, that if God were not holding the universe up in being, it would disappear instantly. God doesn't only make the world, but he keeps it here every second that it is here. And it is Jesus who does this. So is it any wonder that Jesus also then has the power to transform our lowly bodies, by which Paul simply meant the kind of bodies that we have right now, To transform these lowly bodies into glorious bodies. Bodies that are like the glorious body of the resurrected Jesus himself. In other words, Jesus will transform our ordinary bodies, the ones that we have right now, into special, supercharged, glorified bodies. A body like Jesus has. Jesus will do that one day. And that was what Paul called the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and that was his goal in life. But why is this transformation of our lowly body into a glorious body called the upward call in Christ Jesus? We get an answer to that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul is talking to the church about the resurrection. Many in the early church thought that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime, and when the first generation of Christians began to die, there was some alarm. They were worried that uh, those who died before Christ's return maybe were missing out on the great Christian hope. And so Paul explains some things, and he explains them based upon a direct revelation from Jesus himself. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. This we declare to you by a word from the Lord. 
that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Paul is describing what is sometimes called the rapture. Jesus returns, and all who die in Christ are resurrected. And all who are in Christ but happen to still be alive, together the whole church, all at one time, are caught up into the air to meet Jesus and then to go to be with him forever. In this one extraordinary event, both living and dead Christians receive glorified bodies. We will receive glorified bodies on our way to heaven. That is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that was what Paul was looking forward to. That moment when he would be called up, caught up into the air with his new and glorified body. That was Paul's goal in life. That's what gave direction to everything that he did. Now let me talk a little bit about this glorified body. Paul was looking forward to the time when his lowly body would be made into a glorious body. By which he meant that he would look like Christ's resurrected body. Jesus, of course, was born in a human form. He had a body like ours. A body that suffered from the cold and hunger and from sickness. A body that could die. During his earthly ministry, Jesus had what Paul called a lowly body. But that was only part of the story. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John see Jesus in his glorified state. Along with Elijah and Moses. Here's how Luke describes the scene in chapter 9. Jesus took with him Peter John and James, and went up on to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Something apparently similar happened to Paul, first at his conversion on the road to Damascus, and then repeatedly later as Jesus instructed Paul prior to becoming an apostle. The scene from the road to Damascus is a familiar one to us. We read it in Acts chapter 9. Here's what we read. As Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. The blinding light of the glorified Christ. Paul met the resurrected, glorified Christ. And he made it his life's goal 
to also be resurrected and glorified. He saw what it looked like. He had met Jesus who had crossed over and been glorified. And he wanted to follow Jesus even in the flesh. Glorification is the final step in our in our salvation. Salvation, of course, is the rescue from the effects of sin. One of the effects of sin is that our bodies get sick and die. But our glorified bodies will be perfect even as Christ's resurrected body is perfect. So often we think of salvation as simply a spiritual thing. It is spiritual, but it's also physical. And our receiving our glorified bodies is the saving of our bodies from the effects of sin and the fall. Here's what Paul says about salvation in Romans 8.30. Those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Four little steps in that sequence. They are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Sometimes this sequence is called the order of salvation. But glorification is the goal of salvation. It's what we're shooting for. Paul talks about our lowly bodies, about how they go down into the ground in death, but how they will rise up glorified bodies in the resurrection. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The body is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. That was Paul's goal. In life, that was the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that his lowly body would be transformed into a glorious body, a body like Christ's own body. That's what Paul took as his finish line. That's what kept Paul, that's what kept Paul constantly forgetting what lay behind him and constantly straining for what lay ahead. So today is Mother's Day, and I hope you celebrate this day with tremendous joy. And I pray that your overarching goal in life would be the same as the one that motivated the Apostle Paul. That on the glorious day of Christ's appearing, that you would be called up, that you would be caught up and glorified. To be with Christ forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we do honor you and we bless your name this day. And we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, might uh, add your sealing to the proclamation of your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.